Well, welcome to Big Valley Grace again. And if you're watching online, I'm grateful you're with us out in the cafe. It was really a, an honor to serve you uh, communion out there. Uh, if you're listening on the radio, we're, we're glad you're with us. Why don't you take your Bibles and, and there are three places I want you to turn, okay? The first one is Luke chapter 24, kind of put your finger in there. The second one is John chapter seven. We're in a series where we're going through the gospel of John together and I want you to put your finger in there. And then the third place is Ephesians chapter five. Okay, those are gonna be the three main places uh, that we look at. If you've never been to prime time, you, you, maybe today's the, the, the day to go. They're actually doing a full concert in prime time and that room will probably all be jammed up. And, but um, if I wasn't preaching, I'd be over there listening to, to, to that group. So if you've never been to prime time, as soon as we're done here, just go over into the fireside room and find a seat and enjoy some great music and, and fellowship. In Luke chapter uh, 24, we read a, a really interesting story, a little vignette of the life of Jesus and two men. And I was fascinated with it this past week. In fact, I probably spent way too much time thinking about it. I started going down a lot of different little rabbit trails and it was just, it was just really interesting to, to me. It says this in verse 13. That same day, okay, and, and just to, as a, give you a little context, that same day would have been the day that uh, the women and the disciples found the tomb empty. Okay, so Jesus has died on a cross, they put him in a tomb, three days later the, the, the tomb is empty. The, the women come running, they find it empty, they go back and tell some of the boys the tomb is empty. That's what day this is talking about, okay? That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to a village of Emmaus seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. They were, they were talking about the last week of Jesus' life. They, they were kind of going back and forth, and just imagine maybe a couple of guys with some coffees, and they're walking, and they're talking about Jesus, and man, the trial that he had gone through. All of a sudden, you know, he's up on a cross, and they're talking about it. All of a sudden, you know, they, 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 they hear that he's been put into a tomb. And now, all of a sudden, there's some women and some of his disciples are saying that he's risen from the grave. They're having a conversation about this, about this moment. They're trying to, to sort it out. You know, what did we miss? We saw the guy do some miracles. We heard the guy preach. Man, the religious leaders hated that guy. The Romans put him up on a cross. I, I, I saw him, didn't, didn't you, Joey? I saw him, he was dead. I know it, and then they put him in that tomb, and now there's a bunch of people running around saying he's alive. You can kind of imagine this conversation that these two guys are having, okay? Verse 15 says, as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. Isn't that interesting? So here are these two guys, got their coffees, their bottled waters, they're having this conversation. All of a sudden, there's Jesus, but God supernaturally kind of kind of veils their eyes from knowing it's him. He asked them, Jesus asked them, hey, what are you guys discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Clopius, said or replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have been happening there in the last few days. I mean, these two guys think Jesus is clueless. What are you talking about? What, what are we discussing? It would be like me saying, hey, have you heard this thing about this Kavanaugh guy? <laughs> of course you've heard about it. It's the only thing that's been on TV for the last 
too long. I mean, it's crazy. So here we got Jesus, you know, saying, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they're going, dude, this guy's nuts. He doesn't even know what's going on. Verse 19 says, what things, Jesus asked. What are you talking about? What are the things that have been going on in Jerusalem over the last week? What are you, what are you talking about? Jesus is, he's reeling them in very slowly. Here it comes. <laughs> the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. And, and they crucified him like three days ago. We hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of followers were at his tomb early this morning and, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and that they had seen angels who told them that Jesus was alive. Some of our men even ran to see it and sure enough, his body was gone just as the women said he was gone. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote uh, 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 about in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all of the prophets explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is an unbelievable moment. Jesus is leading these two guys in a Bible study about himself. This is the greatest Bible study in the history of Bible studies. Jesus says, hey guys, let me take you back to the scriptures. Remember, there's no New Testament at this point. So he takes them back to the writings of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah. And he's explaining to them Jesus in the Torah. He starts to take them through all that the prophets had said. Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah. And all that they had said about Jesus, the coming Messiah. Jesus is looking at the Old Testament with these two guys, showing them himself in the scriptures. Beloved, if you don't get anything else, and I've been hammering this for the last, I don't know, a couple months. This book is a book about Jesus. The Old Testament, those 39 books in the Old Testament are all a book about the Messiah who is going to come, the Savior who is going to come. When you get to the 27 books in the New Testament, they're all about the Savior has come. This is a book about Jesus, period. And here we have Jesus taking these two men and saying, look, let's do a Bible study of the Old Testament because once we go through it and once we read the writings of Moses and all of the prophets, you will see me in it. This is not a book about marriage. There's a lot of really great information in here about marriage. But it's not a book about marriage. It's a book about Jesus. 
This is not a book about how to parent your children. Though there's a lot of good information in here on how to parent your children. But it's not about that. It's about Jesus. This book has a lot to say about how to handle your finances. But it's not a book about how to handle your finances. It's a book about Jesus. This is not a a book about homosexuality or gay marriage or gender fluidity, though it has a lot to say about that. It's a book about Jesus. That's what this book is about. That's its primary message. Jesus in the Old Testament, and we see this as Jesus talks to these two men on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus in the New Testament. It's a book about Jesus. First and foremost. When you get to the Gospels, especially the Gospel of John, the whole point of the Gospel of John is that you you couldn't miss Jesus. And that Jesus is the one who came and lived a perfect life for you and died a horrific death for you and was buried in a tomb for you and walked out of that grave three days later and that if you would put your trust in him, if you would believe in him, your sins would be forgiven and you would spend your eternity with him forever. That's the whole point of the book of John. It it zeroes in, it, it just takes this maybe spotlight of Jesus and laser beams it in to a major thought that he was the Messiah. He was the one who came. And here in Luke chapter 24, we see Jesus taking these two guys through the Old Testament and he's having a Bible study about him. Really, really just just fascinating. So with all this said, I want to get into our our text today, okay? Jesus and his disciples have gone to this feast of shelters or this feast of tabernacles, and and I talked a lot about that last, um, last weekend here, and it says this in verse 37, okay? Now we're in John chapter seven, look at verse 37. On the last day, the climax of the festival, so, so, so they're at the festival, Okay, it's the last day. Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds. Wherever Jesus went, there was a crowd. There was always a group of people looking for him. Even when he tried to get away alone and pray, just be with the Father, there was always people looking for him. There's this huge crowd. It's the last day of the festival. Maybe a million people have come to Jerusalem from all around for this great festival. Town is packed. There's no bullhorns, there's no microphones, uh, there's none of that, there's no blimps, you know, with something written on the side. So Jesus, I don't know, finds a rock or something, he steps up on it, and as there's these just millions of people, he yells out to them, if anyone is thirsty, you may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when he said this, living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him, but the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet gone to glory. So you got the scene? I want you to imagine, verse verse 37 says, Jesus stood and he shouted to the crowds. If you have the ability to imagine, just imagine just thousands and thousands and tens of thousands, maybe up to a million people. And I'm sure Jesus did this more than once. He's got all these people and and everybody kind of knows who he is. 
They, they, they've heard he's done some miracles. They, they kind of know who he is. Hey, there's that rabbi guy. I heard he did some miracles. Yeah, and man, he teaches like nobody else teaches. Yeah, you see him right over there. There's a whole bunch of people. And then he stops. And this huge crowd of people. Anyone who is thirsty, you come to me. Anyone who believes in me can come and drink. Wow. What an amazing moment. I'm sure the religious leaders who were there and those Jews that had read the Old Testament thought to themselves, you know what? That sounds familiar. Sounds like what God said in Isaiah chapter 55. Anyone who is thirsty, God said, come and drink even if you have no money. Come with, to me with your ears open. Listen and you'll find life. I got, I got no doubt that people were going, whoa, whoa, did that guy, is, he needs to give you know, Isaiah credit for that one, doesn't he? They knew what he was saying. They knew exactly what was going on. Now, one of the things that you read when you uh, read through the scriptures, especially John chapter seven, is that the people, this crowd that was around, they had all kinds of thoughts or, or opinions as to who Jesus was. I mean, it was unbelievable. In fact, I found this video, I, 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 didn't, I mean, I got this video, I shortened it up, it was a little long last night, but I, I want you to w watch this, okay? Jesus is the person who saved my life. Uh, Jesus is our savior and the person that we should all follow and respect and love and he should be in everyone's heart. Jesus Christ? Lord and Savior, he's the Son of God. He died for our sins. He. <laughs> but yeah, what else do you want to say? Yeah, he, he's our Savior. Well, I guess, you know, we're both. Are you Christian? Yeah, I am too, so I guess that's why we're both answering the same thing. <laughs> Jesus, uh, guy that is based on the whole religion of Christianity, and he. Uh, Gives a lot of people hope and a lot of people believe in him. Jesus. Well, I'm not that religious, but um, from what I hear, he's supposed to be our savior and God's son. That's all I got for you. Don't go to church or anything like that. So. I don't think Jesus is exists, and I think only yourself can be your can be your own God. Uh, possibly a person. I'm not a very religious guy. I, I should be, except when I go into the military. Uh, I know Jesus is the, is the Son of God and the Son of uh, the Virgin Mary. Uh, you guys looking for a little deeper question, answer than that? Or? If that's all you've got, then that's all right. That's all I got. I, mean, I used to go to church, but not so much anymore. Um, Jesus is a man who has brought everybody on this planet here. Yeah. He created all of us, and... Every thing we do is supposed to be for him and under what would Jesus do? I think he is something that people have in their minds to kind of guide them and like help them be a better person and make decisions that will be like that will no, be nice to as many people as possible. So he's kind of like an idea to some people more than an actual, like, tangible being, I think. Jesus is the Son of God and our Savior. Oh, this sounds stupid, won't I? Was it? Well, Jesus is the Son of God, and he came to Earth... Uh, to tell people about Christianity and what is wrong and what is right in the world. Uh, Jesus is um, 
Jesus is uh, my Lord and Savior, and uh, He's the Son of God, and He is the Messiah. Oh, um, so He died for us. He um, died for us to, and He took all our our sins with Him. So we can be saved and go to heaven. Oh, Jesus is my personal savior, and uh, I've known him since I was born, and uh, he's very important to me. Yeah. Jesus is a religious figure um, that is praised by a lot of different religions um, all over the world as kind of uh, the father of everyone. Uh, Jesus, I think, is just, um, I don't know, a person who lived in the past and who was famous and who did good things and, I mean, I believe in God and all that, but I don't know if he was the son of God and I believe he did good things and, um, I believe in spirit, I'm very spiritual, I'm not necessarily derived to a certain religion, so, yeah, I think he was a person who did good things and helped a lot of people, Jesus, not much of a religious person, but I know that he is the Son of God, and he's supposed to be our Savior, and he is paying the penalties for all the sins that we may, may have or are going to commit. Wow. That's about all I know. Uh, he is uh, he's what Christian people worship. He's a spiritual figure, I guess. Jesus? person that people have decided is someone who will help help them out in a time of need but in my mind he has caused more problems than he's solved uh, I'm not really like religious I don't really I mean I just know that he's somebody that people like follow and worship but I'm not really like I don't really know You know, uh, <clears throat> kind of interesting what people think about Jesus. In fact, I know in this room, I know out in the cafe over in the venue, or you're watching online, there's lots of different opinions about who he is. Lots of different opinions. One of the things that I always do whenever I meet with somebody, counsel somebody, first question I'll ask is tell me who you think Jesus is. That way I'm a, I get a kind of a plumb line on their life. And I always know when I'm meeting with a follower of Christ and I know when I'm meeting with somebody who's just spiritual and I know when I'm meeting with somebody who doesn't know the Lord, whose eyes have been blinded to truth. But I always ask that question, hey, listen, before we get started, let me pray, and, and then, hey, Rex, tell me. Tell me who Jesus is in your mind. And that person will take a few moments, and they'll share, and that helps me know who I'm dealing with. What would you say if a mic was put into your face? What would you say? Who is, who is Jesus? Well, if you look at the crowd here, they also had a lot of different opinions. Some people thought that Jesus was simply a good man. Look at verse 11 of our text. The Jewish leaders tried to find him at the festival and kept asking if anyone had seen him. There was a lot of grumbling about him among the crowd. Some argued, he's a good man. Some of you here, that, that would be your answer. I think Jesus was a good man. Some of you watching online, over in the venue or wherever it is, you would say, you know what, I think he was a good man. I've heard that, I can't even tell you how many times sitting in my office. Oh, I think Jesus was a good man. Some people thought that Jesus was a deceiver. Look at verse 13. There was a lot of grumbling about him amongst the crowd. Some argued he's a good man, but others said he's nothing but a fraud who deceives the people. 
Some of you might be here this morning, over in the venue, whatever, and that would be your impression of him. He's a deceiver, the guy's a fraud. Or like that one young lady said, man, he's caused more problems than he solved. Some people thought that Jesus was demon-possessed. Look at verse 20. The crowd replied, you're, you're demon-possessed. But there were some people who just, you know, let me just get right to the chase here. You're not a good man. You're not just somebody who deceives people, but you're demon-possessed, pal. There might be one, two, six of you here. I don't know who you would say, man, thinking back on all the things that he said, that guy had to be demon-possessed. Or the only way he did some of those miracles was simply because he had the power of the demons behind him kind of a thing. Some people thought that Jesus was just an ordinary guy. Look, look, look at verse 25. Some of the people who lived in Jerusalem started to ask each other, isn't this the man that they're trying to kill? But here he is, speaking in public. And they say nothing to him. Could, could our leaders possibly believe that he is the Messiah? But how could he be? For we know where this man comes from. When the Messiah comes, we will, he will simply appear. No one will know where he comes from. In other words, they're just saying, this guy's a normal guy. Hey, I knew his dad. It was Joseph. I knew Mary. He, that guy built a table for me once. He, we know where he comes from. He's just an ordinary guy. Ah, he's a little different. He's got cool hair maybe. I don't know. But he's just an ordinary guy. There's nothing special about him. Not a good guy. Not a bad guy. Not a demon possessed. He's just, he's just an average Joe guy. Some people thought that Jesus was a prophet. Look at verse 40. When the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet that we've been expecting. This has got to be the guy. This is going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. This guy's no ordinary man. He's not a deceiver. He's not demon-possessed. He's not just a good man. He's a prophet. And then last but not least, number six, there were a number of people that thought he actually was the Messiah. Verse 41 goes on to say, when the crowds heard him say this, some declared, surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting, but others said, no, <laughs> no. This guy's not just some prophet. This is the guy that the Old Testament talked about. This is who the prophets talked about. This guy really is the Messiah. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asks his men a really great question. It kind of goes hand in hand with this. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, there's Peter, James, John, the boys were all there, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Who do the people say that I am? Hey, guys, what's the word on the street? Hey, when you're getting your coffee at the local coffee shop and you're picking up lunch or whatever it is you're doing, what do people say about me? They know you're hanging out with me. So what's the word? Well, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist. Wow, really? Think I'm John the Baptist? Really, somebody said that? Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't believe it. A guy said, hey, that guy you're hanging out with, isn't that John the Baptist? Some say that you're Elijah. Whoa, really? Man. And others say you're Jeremiah. There's a bunch out there that they don't really know who you are. They just think you're one of those prophets in the Old Testament. They can't figure out which one it is. But they know there's something really special about you. And then Jesus asked them, all right, guys, forget about what anybody else is saying. How about you? What do you say? Who do you say I am? You've been with me. You've heard me teach. You've seen my miracles. 
We've had a number of Bible studies together. Who do you say that I am? Huh. That's the most important question you'll ever be asked. Certainly it's the most important question you'll ever answer because how you answer it determines your eternal destiny. What your opinion is of Jesus will determine where you're going to spend your eternity. Do you think that Jesus was simply a good man or an ordinary man? You're here right now, I'm asking. I just want you to rattle this around in your mind. Who do you say that he is? Is that what you think? Do you think that Jesus was simply a good man, an ordinary man? Do you think that Jesus was a, a fraud or a deceiver? Do you think that? Are you like some of the people in the crowd in John 7? Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. I don't know how you could you know, say, well, I think he's a good man, he's an ordinary man. Look, anybody who says that isn't an ordinary man. Anybody who says that isn't just a good man. He either is that or the guy is nuts. Call the cops, lock him up. Get him down to the behavioral center. Keep a gun out of that guy's hand. I think it's more honest to say, the guy's nuts. He's a fraud than it is to say he's a good man. You think that Jesus was demon-possessed? Do you think that he was a prophet, he was just a good guy, you know, kind of a thing? Or do you think that Jesus was who he said he was, and that is the Savior, the Son of God? And that's the question, you know, I guess we all answer some, at some moment. For a long time, you know, I thought Jesus was just a good guy. I wasn't hostile to him. I wouldn't have said he was demon-possessed. I didn't know that much about him. But I'd have said, hey, that's a good guy. I might have even said, you know what? I think the guy's probably a prophet. I'd have gone that far. Now here's the deal. I know that most of you here have settled the issue you, you would say he's, he's the son of God. He, he's the one who the Old Te Testament predicted would, would come. He, he, he's the one who came and died on a cross and, and, and was put into a tomb and walked out of that grave three days later proving that he was no ordinary man, that he wasn't just a good man or he was just a prophet or whatever. That he had the power over death. Obviously he was God. No doubt about it. I gave my life to him. Cleansed my sins, all that. You, 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 most of you here have. 95% of you probably. Now here's the deal. If you've settled that issue, you really believe that Jesus is the son of God, it, it ought to make a difference in your life, shouldn't it? Ephesians chapter five says this. Look at verse one. That was the third text I had you look at. The Holy Spirit fills Paul's life and has him pin these words. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you're one of his children. That's what it says. That's what the scriptures say. If you truly know the Lord, if you've settled that issue, if you believe that he really was who he said he was, then God says, hey look, since you're one of my children, I want you to imitate me. In everything you do, 
Your will no longer matters anymore. What matters is is his will. You're, You're to imitate him. One of the reasons why so few Christians imitate him is because they don't know anything about him. You you can't imitate somebody you don't know. Which is why the church, any good church, is going to have men's Bible studies and women's Bible studies and and youth Bible studies and 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 there's going to be you know the teaching of the word in 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 the sermons. Because it's only when you get in here that you get to meet God and know God so that you even have a chance to imitate him. Ephesians 5 goes on to say in verse 10, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. You gotta figure out what pleases God. I know, you know, you you know what pleases your spouse, you know what pleases your kids, you know what pleases your parents, you know what pleases your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you know what pleases a lot of people. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, one who has settled the issue of who God is, we are to carefully figure out, determine what pleases him. Because sometimes what pleases him won't please your spouse and it won't please your, you know, your parents or your, or your, you know, boyfriend or your girlfriend. And the only way you're going to know what pleases him is here. Hey, I can look at the stars and they declare the glory of God. I can look at the, you know, all of creation and it tells me that there's a God, but it doesn't tell me how I can please that God. It just tells me that there is one. There's only one way you're gonna imitate God. There's only one way you're gonna figure out what pleases him. We give it out to you. We'll give you a free copy of it if you don't own one. Just go into the altar room. It's this right here. Ephesians 5 goes on and says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. God says through the the pen of the great apostle, look, Christians, don't chuck your brains at the door. Don't act thoughtlessly, but here's the deal. Engage this thing. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. It's the only way you're going to know. Which is why you need to have times in the morning over coffee or tea where you're just reading the scriptures, enjoying hearing about Jesus. Times at lunch, maybe when you just have your sandwich and you just say, you know what, for the next five minutes, I'm just gonna read a little bit of the scriptures. Invest some time in a women's Bible study, a men's Bible study, whatever it might be. One of the questions I'm asked most often, oh, it's, it's without a doubt the, the question I'm asked the most, and that is, Pastor Rick, how can I know what God's will is for my life? That's a great question, by the way. I don't know what's more important for the believer than knowing what is God's will for my life. If you've settled the issue, you're a part of the crowd, and you said, no, nah, he's the Messiah. He's, he's my savior. I've given my life to him. If you've settled that issue, then you know what? Is there another question that could be more important or more weighty than, okay, now that I, I, I've given my life to you and I believe, God, that you are the Messiah, man, I want to know what your will is for my life. I want to know what pleases you. And I'm going to tell you why it's important. 
Let me tell you why it's important that that would be the number one question after you give your life to Christ. The Bible says this in, in Proverbs, there's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Let me tell you something, Christian, that ought to scare you. That ought to just get you a little back on your heels. That there are ways that seem right. There are paths that seem okay, logically, whatever. It it seems like this is the way I'm to go. I mean, after all, it's what my parents told me I'm supposed to do. After all, it's what my college professor told me. After all, it's what my boyfriend or girlfriend thinks. It, it, It seems right, but the problem is, is that it's wrong and it ends badly. In fact, Psalms 119 says this, something very, very similar. Keep me from deceitful ways. That's a good prayer. Oh God, I know that there are all kinds of paths, all kinds of ways out there. I got my parents' way. I got my girlfriend's way. I got my spouse's way. There's all of these voices that all have a thought on my life. And man, I need to know what your way is for my life. Now, oftentimes, your parents' way and your way match up. Your spouse's way and your way will match up. But not always. And let me tell you who has a path for your life. You do. Your flesh does. And you still have it. And your flesh loves to look in the mirror. Man, your flesh loves you, man. Hates what pleases the Lord. And so there are all of these paths out there and the loudest path or the loudest voice is gonna be your own. And if you've settled the issue It's a part of the crowd as to who Jesus is and you've given your life over to him. Let me tell you, it's what pleases him that matters. It's engaging your minds and trying to understand what the Lord's will is for your life or what the Lord's will is for your children's life. Isaiah chapter 48 says, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way that you should go. The question you got to ask yourself is, is how does God teach us what is best? How does God direct us in the way that we're to go? So we don't get on some path that seems right, but isn't right. How does that happen? Psalms 37 says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. How? How does he do that? Let me tell you how he does it today, primarily. And that's through this book you got in your hand or the book you're looking at on your smartphone. This is how God directs you. The word of God is the will of God. And I didn't make that up. Somebody else did. This is the will of God. This is what pleases God. God wants us to engage our brains if we have indeed truly made a decision that Jesus is the Messiah and we've invited him into our lives. The only way we can truly know what the will of God is is right here. That's why we have you open your Bibles every week. Every time you read the scriptures, you're reading the will of God. When Jesus wanted these two men to understand who he was, he could have done a miracle right in front of them. He could have made something, but he didn't. He wanted them to know who he was, and so he takes them to the scriptures. It was in the scriptures that they were going to find the truth. The Bible's the only 100% reliable source of knowing what God's will is for your life. Not your emotions or your feelings or the advice you get from a friend or the culture, you know, culture around you. 
The only 100% reliable source of God's will is the scriptures. So what does the scripture say is God's will? Check this out. God, God knew this was gonna be a difficult thing for people. And so look at this, look at this. God said, okay, I'm gonna gonna make this easy. First Thessalonians says, it is God's will. Ho! Hey, Paul, just, just nail it right out of the gate here so the people don't have to figure things out. It is God's will that you should live a sanctified life. That means a separated life, a a different life. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control his or her own body in a way that is holy and, and, and honorable. That's God's will. I don't know if you should buy a Chevy or a Ford. I don't know, don't care. I don't know what house you should buy. I don't know what God's will is. I don't know what college your kid ought to go to. I don't know and I don't care. That is God's will. Are you doing that? Are you nailing that? Are you living a sanctified life? Are you avoiding sexual immorality? Are you, are you in control of your own body? Are you engaged in holy things and honorable things? That's the will of God. And by the way, let me just say this. <clears throat> let me tell you why flirting is wrong. Let me tell you why flirting is sinful and why flirting is evil and wicked. Unless it's with your spouse. Let me tell you why the Bible, especially Proverbs, talks so much about it. When you flirt with somebody, whether you're a single guy flirting with a single girl, or you're married and you're flirting with somebody that's not your spouse, you are um, stoking up desires within them Sexual desires, that's what flirting is. You're you're stoking those desires that you can't fulfill righteously. You can fulfill them. You just can't do it righteously. So when you start winking at somebody and saying, you know, things to somebody ain't your spouse or whatever, and they, you know, they're getting all hot and heavy and all that. You can't fulfill the desire you just stoked within them righteously. Husbands, wives, flirt all you want because you can stoke up all those sexual desires all you want because you can fulfill them righteously, can't you? And today there's an epidemic, I think, of Christian men and women who are flirting and flirting with single men flirting, single women flirting, Couples flirting and they think it's no big deal. And it is a big deal. It's a huge deal. Paul goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. I don't know, well, you know, we're trying to figure out God's will as to what, what church we're supposed to go to. Look, I, you know, okay, good luck. I, I don't know, I, I don't know. Pick one, flip a coin. A lot of great churches out there. Just pick one. Put your roots down and say, count me in. I'm a, I don't know. But I do know this is God's will. That we're to be joyful always. Eh, mess that one up. I'm to pray continually. Man, I'm messing that one up too. Giving thanks in all circumstances. I want you to know, I read this this week three times, you know. And all three times I kept going, oh God, I can't go any farther. I gotta spend some time in repentance. Because I'm out of God's will. I'm not always joyful. I don't always give thanks in all circumstances. I don't do that. And God says, Rick, this is my will for you. This isn't a suggestion. The 
This is my will. These are the, the things that were to nail. The other things I, I think just kind of take care of themselves. I know for a fact that this is God's will. Colossians says, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off the old self with its practices. Colossians goes on to say, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against each other. Forgive as the Lord has forgave you and over all these virtues put on love. Those are God's will. It's God's will that we take some things off. Anger and rage and malice and all. Take those things off. And then there are some things we're to put on. That's God's will. Those are the things that ought to um, occupy our minds as people who have made the decision. He's not just a good man. He's not an ordinary man. He's not a deceiver. He's not demon-possessed. He's not a prophet. He's the son of God. I've given my life to him. And now his will becomes my priority in my life. Not my will anymore. His will. Hey, out in the, in the cafe, I want you to stand. If you're in the venue, stand. Everybody in here, stand. And let me pray. Father, thank you, God, for today and this hour. And Lord, I'm just really thankful that... Um, you left us your word. It's just so rich and deep. There's just so much in it. Just really beautiful, Lord. May our people have a great time this week reading the scriptures, studying them. Lord, I want to pray for prime time. I got the feeling that place is going to be rocking here in a little bit. I'm glad that we could, we could have a place where people could gather and hear some great music this morning. Lord, you're, you're good. You're good. And I pray this in your name and all of God's people said, amen. Okay, live for Christ, all right?